Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week, we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Although not so much tech and pop culture today. (laughs) Although, are the polls driving (laughs) politics today either? (laughs) Well, we don't have a script, so we've already gone off script. We have no script today. Kristen has a beer. (laughs) And <laughs> that I bought at a drugstore in New York like two days ago Perfect. as a joke, and I've just been carrying it around. Perfect. Well, today, <laughs> this is the time. Now it is time. And we have a song that we think best captures what happened. You may be right. I may be crazy. Oh, but, but it just may be a lunatic you're looking for. Yes. Uh, the American voters have spoken, guys. And it is, in fact, a lunatic. Not just maybe. <laughs> we now know with certainty that it is a lunatic. Turn out the lights. Don't try to save me. <sighs> you may be wrong. Or you, you could be right. <laughs> it's all about probabilistic thinking. You may be wrong, but you may be right. Yes. Who was wrong and who was right, Margie? Well, let's, let's talk about this. So, so we know at this point that Donald Trump is going to be the 45th president of the United States. We know at this point that he's winning a pretty decisive electoral college victory. Like, this was not like, ah, it's coming down to a recount in Florida. No, but it's not like a complete sweep. It's but not you, a complete sweep. But you're right. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's more states than certainly I ever imagined was possible for him. But he's going to lose the popular vote by like one to two million votes. Right. Crazy. It is crazy. I mean, so... So I guess there's two big questions. The first one is, like, what happened? What do we see in the exit polls that gives us some sense of what happened in this race? And then we'll talk about the polls themselves. So I think that's, you know, two big, broader buckets. And the first thing in terms of what happened is, I mean, there were a couple things that really surprised me. I mean, one, the main thing that I was most surprised by was Latinos. I mean, you saw, you know, obviously race and gender had a big role here. Um Clinton won with white women. She underperformed relative to 2012 with other demographic groups, Latinos, African-Americans, white men. The uh, composition of the electorate didn't really look that different from 2012. I mean, Latinos went up a point. African-Americans went down a point. White women down a point. 
white men the same. I mean, not, you know, massive, massive shifts. Um, but she underperformed with all those groups compared to 12 other than white women. So that was, you know, one of the, like the race and gender piece. It wasn't just about white voters. It wasn't just about white men. It was really across the board. And then the other piece was this sort of rage against this rage against the machine. You know, people sort of feeling that they wanted someone who you know was about change. And people who said that they cared about change, they overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump. Everyone else voted for Clinton. Yeah, Nick Confessori at the New York Times today was tweeting that he was he was really stuck on thinking about the fact that so many people in the exit polls responded to the question about whether or not Donald Trump was qualified to be president and had the temperament and judgment to be president. And, and still they voted said for him. no, and they still voted for him. And I said, this is my – Trump is the weird experimental drug that you take when you're like, I'm sick of you prescribing the same thing. It's not making me better. I don't care that you just read me a list of – 15 different side effects, including may come with vomiting, nausea, blackouts, Vladimir Putin taking over your government. Like, nope, don't care. Bring on the side effects. Right, right. And I think the, to the extent that there is any good news from that, that you just said, <laughs> it's that this isn't blackouts just... Blackouts and Vladimir Putin <laughs> taking over your government. Exactly. <laughs> it's that it's not, this is not only, and this is the thing that really hurts on the left. On the left, we're like, oh my goodness, America wants someone who uses racist, hateful, sexist, bigoted language. That's hurtful. I mean, you have all these incredibly heartbreaking stories of people saying like, oh, is my, you know, am I going to be able to see my uncle again? Or, you know, mommy, I heard at school that we're all going to be slaves now. I mean, these like terrible stories that I'm seeing of people feeling like their country doesn't want them. And there is that those people, they are voting for Trump. Like, I think we can, you know, be, be, I mean, I'm happy to that, be very. That is the basket of deplorables. Yeah, that is. They are out there and they're voting for Trump and they're pretty excited that somebody, you know, is giving them some oxygen and they're, you know, getting their talking points uh, circulated. Um, uh, there are a lot of other voters, though, who are not part of that group and they are for Trump because they wanted something drastically different. And they're, they, they know it's flawed, that they, they are not for it because it's flawed. They know it's flawed and yet they're still. It's in spite of it. In spite of it, there was uh, a, a tweet from Seth MacFarlane, uh, comedian, great political mind, <laughs> great, great political mind, uh, and he echoed something that Bill Maher said on his show last week, which was that there's a chance that there are an awful lot of voters who are just sort of tuning out when people say like, "No, but that's that's racist and that's horrible, and and you should you need to re- you have to reject that. Of course, you have to reject that because for so long." I mean, the way Seth MacFarlane and Bill Maher call it is they say it's like crying wolf. And I remember there was a time on this show, this was when I was in the midst of being like shocked that after the attacks in Paris, that Trump's poll numbers were going up in the Republican primary. And I was like, what is going on? Like, this should be the moment when everybody's going, hey, this isn't a game. Like, we're not playing like, you know, risk. We're not playing risk. We're not playing like sim country. Like, this is this is for real. Um. And Trump's poll numbers went up, and I was surprised. And it was that, I think, weekend I had gone to Orlando um, to see my parents and, you know, whatever. And while I was down there, uh, there was an announcement that Governor Rick Scott was going to – was one of the Republican governors who said, we're going to put a pause on this whole refugee thing. Like, we don't really want any refugees coming into our state. And when I was down there, you know, most of the folks I talked to, they weren't like, yes, sweet, go Rick Scott. But they were like, oh, that seems reasonable. Like – 
yeah, we should probably just put a pause on it just to like see what happens. And then I like I came back to D.C. and I watched the news coverage and it was like portrayed very much as like this is xenophobia. This is closing our borders. This is not being humane. We need to be humane and good Americans. And I thought, you know, if I'm one of those people in Orlando who's seeing this news coverage, I'm thinking like, why is my view that seems pretty common sense? It's not that I don't like Syrian people. It's not that I don't want to be nice. It's that I I just want to make sure that we're being safe and and yet everybody's telling me this is like racist and horrible. And so – but I don't think it is. I'm not a racist person. And then all of a sudden that stuff just starts to become like the teacher in Charlie Brown. And and so people go, yeah, Trump said horrible things. He said things I can't say to my kid. He's a terrible guy. I don't like the way that this country is being so divided. But you know what? At least he calls it like it is or, you know, whatever the different pathways people take to Trump. And and that has that has stuck with me. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. And I think that's true for a segment of folks. I think it's also true this. I mean, the, some of the things he said are just not some of the things, things he continuously would say. Well, you shouldn't need the media to tell you that some of this stuff is racist or sexist. Right. And that he's done, but, not just said. And on top of that. You know, when you add to that the layer of him, you know, not really studying or seeming fully prepared, right? I mean, there's that layer. The, you know, he's not a, the businessman he claims to be. I mean, all these things, when you layer them all on top of each other, um, just seem so horrific and disqualifying. That's why I guess a lot of people are <laughs> understandably bummed. But, you know, the sense that intolerance was like, okay, well, you know, he's really intolerant, but that there's some but that would excuse that. But Hillary's emails. Or whatever that is. Or but he doesn't mean it. Or, you know, but I'm sick of people telling me that that's racist. Or whatever it is. Or but I care about the Supreme Court or what have you. Um, that is for a lot of Americans, uh, certainly a lot of folks on the left, like that's that's heartbreaking. And I don't know how, I don't know how we mend that because that's, that is what is just truly painful. That's why I see all of my, all my lovely democratic organizing, you know, part of the family that I know a lot of you folks listen um, that are doing such an incredible job and have done such an incredible job. I know that that's what makes us all ache for this result. And then you add to that, on top of that, the the chance to have a historic woman president that now we don't get to have um, and instead have this someone who's been historically cruel to women um, and at, at the very least in his speech, probably in his actions. This is a, you know, is is a lot more than some of us can take. Anyway, so, I, but it's, I don't think it's just, the, but I think it's oversimplification to say, like, white people rose up and they said, you know, this is what we want and who cares? Like, I think that, you know, that's a, yeah. that's not what happened. I will agree that, weirdly, so I wrote that column in the Washington Post a week and a half ago or two weeks ago that was like, if Clinton wins, she probably doesn't have a mandate. And I think I had like a sentence or two arguing that Trump could maybe claim kind of a mandate on like one or two things because they, he's made them, I'm going to renegotiate trade deals. Like you can argue if you were voting for Trump, you knew that was a first hundred days kind of thing. But I, I mean, I, I'm not convinced. Like, for instance, he does really well with voters who want to see a path to citizenship. Right. Like a huge – a majority of voters. And he did better with Latinos than Romney. And right. that's the – and that, I don't I don't, I don't, don't know the answer to that. You know, I have no idea how to answer that question. Well, I mean, and, and I, I think part of it is that – and I've long argued this – that I don't think immigration alone is – like, I think when the autopsy was like, in order to win 
Latino voters, we have to flip on immigration, that that was sort of an incomplete thing. Agreed. Um, and, and I think Trump has has exposed that that was an incomplete thing. Um, so but there are certainly I mean, with millennials and this, I think, begins to transition us into the question of talking about why are we all so stunned today? We cover the polls. Right. WTF polls. Right. We'll get to that in a second. Part but two. That's part two. <laughs> WTF polls, part two. Um, you know, every poll we looked at on the show from credible pollsters who know what they're doing had Trump winning 20 to 25% of the youth vote, right? Like this was going to be a historic youth vote train wreck disaster. Mm-hmm. And yet, on a margin basis, Donald Trump does better with young voters than either John McCain or Mitt Romney. Now, you can argue this is not an apples-to-apples comparison because he was running against Hillary Clinton, who I think all of the evidence now suggests was a far weaker candidate, was far less able to energize the sort of Democratic base that Barack Obama did. But I admit I am still stunned that the margin by which Donald Trump lost the youth vote is – I mean, it's still double digits. It's still bad. It's still bad news bears territory for Republicans. Selfie vote does not get like negated by the rise of Donald Trump. Buy the sel- you should still buy the selfie vote, everybody. It gets kicked down the road. Here's what I the, the what I'm I'm now thinking is going to happen. So Sean Trendy, friend of the show, like he wrote a book that came out right before the 2012 election about it was called The Lost Majority. Now, if you write a book about politics around the 2012 election and it's called The Lost Majority, what do you expect that that book is about? Oh, it's probably about those silly Republicans and their failure to adapt to the changing demographics of America. Nope. Sean Trendy's argument was that Democrats have had built their majorities on working class white voters and that they were at risk of losing that coalition. And of course, this book came out around 2012 when that wasn't a fashionable argument anymore. Obama had just won in states like Ohio and Republicans were on the mend and trying to lick their wounds and figure out what was going on. And so Sean was like, yeah, I wrote this book. And like it instantly was not a fashionable argument to be making. Like no one wanted to read a book about like, boo, the Democrats have it coming, right? Like nobody wanted to read that. Right. Uh, and now, of course, we're now four years later, and Sean's book was like prophetic. It was it was too soon for its time. So I'm like, maybe that's where the selfie vote is. Like, I wrote a book about the 2020 election. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> so, so that's a good point. So we should talk about that because remember when we had Ron Brownstein on the show, and we talked about his article after the 2012 election, and someone, I guess, not for attribution, said. Um, this is going to be the last time anybody tries this, which they were referring to as a Republican strategist referring to this is going to be the last time anybody's going to try. A Republican is going to try to win with white voters without trying to include non-whites, right? And it turns yeah. out it was not the last time that anybody And it tried. actually worked the and second worked, go around. And it worked at this time. And Democrats, we have a similar argument, which is, it sounds like what Sean Trendy was talking about, where we have these kinds of conversations where, you know, you can you can wait for – the electorate to simply become more democratic because you're going to have an increase in non-whites and you're going to have an increase in college-educated uh, women entering the workforce. And um, it, and those voters are going to be disproportionately democratic and there will be, you know, no way for Republicans to catch up. And that was one of the theories of what would happen this election. And when Democrats have these conversations, there was a conversation about the white working class voter, these, you know, these folks who 
have been traditionally democratic and are less so now and you know do what do we do to keep those voters in the fold or um or are they lost to us now and instead we have this more diverse coalition and and that's that's enough to get to a majority and it turns out it isn't especially if you can't run up the score enough with that new diverse broader, bigger coalition, um, which seemed to be what happened last night, um, you know, without also a, a larger shift in that composition. Since so again, to go back to how we started, uh, just smaller shifts in what the um, electorate looked like. So if you're not able to run up the score and then you're held down with white men in particular, which is what happened to Clinton and she wasn't able to run up the score as much among white college educated women as maybe we thought she would. So that's how she didn't have the, you know, she ended up sort of being sandwiched between those two groups. So yeah, Trump was always playing with scary math, but it, it worked out for him. It, it wound up being the case that Hillary Clinton was unable to reform. She was unable to reform the Obama coalition. And the, the interesting anecdote I then take from this is so my, whole election night this was my well they voted for they just didn't vote for quite the same right um i mean and and i am still struck by the fact that we have had the lowest voter turnout since i believe 2000 overall was what i saw on twitter today and that that donald trump will become the president of the united states with fewer votes than either mitt romney or john mccain lost with so this was not it wasn't necessarily a case of like this huge surge in white working class men it was that a lot of voters just stayed home and disproportionately across a variety of demographic groups, they were Obama voters right. who should have been available to Clinton and instead either voted for Trump or just didn't turn out. Right. And the question that we don't know the answer to, which maybe is a segue into part two, which is did they stay home? We don't know the answer to this right now. Did they stay home because – you know, they didn't want to vote for Clinton. Did they stay home because they didn't get enough? You know, they wanted more outreach, although I, that seems unlikely because, you know, there was tons of contact and analytics and all of that. Um, did, did just the Trump voters get more motivated? Like what, how, how did that turn out? You know, did they, were they turned off by just the overall negativity? Like what happened? So- yeah. So this, this is the WTF polls moment. And, and f- I, I want to start on a positive note, which is, For you all who listened to my rant last show about why early exit polls are terrible, I would just like to say thank you. I saw some – I saw good behavior out there on Twitter when I checked in. People were referring to it, in fact. Yeah. Referring to your rant. Kristen's going to come after me because guess what? So this is my first time doing election night at one of the the big networks. And so I was so – like 5.30 p.m., we have our meeting where we get on the conference call and the people call us from the sequester room and we get all the good details and I've got my little notepad out and I'm writing everything down. That's cool. And it was like like freaking Charlie Gibson across a table for me and like – like It was – so as I was telling Marjorie, like my career went from like this is my – the high point of my career to like – what is even occurring in the span of like four Coincides hours? Coincides with the low point of America. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it, it went like I was feeling a lot. I'm like, Michael Strahan just high fived me, but like, I can't even count tonight as a win. Like that doesn't even. I don't even know how I feel about this. Aww. It was a a lot of a lot of emotions all happening at once. But so in this meeting, I mean, it's it's so cool, and we're writing down all of these numbers. Okay. Right now, the and, and it's it's they're like this is just based off of waves one and waves two. Which again, guys, this is why I tell you don't listen to early exits. It's not even all the waves in yet. 
And they're like, no, 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 but we've adjusted for the fact that certain types of voters vote later. So it's okay, even though we don't have wave three in. And also, you know, we haven't weighted it back to any actual returns yet, but here you go. Here's what we're looking at. And I walked out of that room and I thought Republicans had lost the Senate. I was sure. I mean, it was things like Ohio tied. Mm. Like, I mean, stuff that was like, mm-hmm. oh, this might be kind of a short night. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is interesting. Man, a lot of, you know, I'm the Republican. A lot of like, oh, a lot of good Republican senators are about to bite the dust. Damn. Um, darn. Darn. We it's have, okay. We have a clean, I think it's okay. We have a clean rating on iTunes. I think da- I think one. Damn, my go. My two, might go. So what I noticed. I'm drinking a beer. I think it's okay. Podcasting. So it, it, it's an emergency. So it was neat. And then you know they sit you at a desk and they give you like a like a laptop that's got this portal into all of the exit polls and at, at like a, updating as they get fresh data in and reweight them, and then all of the county by county returns. Um, now I'm I'm like a Mac user and it was a PC, and so it took me a while to get adjusted to the 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 format of all of the tables. I would have loved a tutorial. But nonetheless, like all of a sudden I had this portal to all of this data and could watch stuff coming in. And so you could you could all of a sudden start seeing like, huh, those early exit numbers, like they're not matching up so much with the actual returns. Wait a minute, what's going on? And so I think this is this is now, because a bunch of people did obviously go out and talk about like, oh, this is what the early exit polls show on other networks or what have you, I mean, this is how many times in a row have we had the early exits are off? And so I was talking about this with a colleague where I said like, well, you know, I still like the exits as a once you reweight the data back to actual returns, you can understand what happened. And the comment was like, yeah, but that's not what the networks pay for. Networks pay for this so that on election night, you can be like, all right, we're ready to call whatever. Mm -hmm. And if they're super off and you're doing all kinds of funky waiting back to returns – Anyhow, all I'm saying, guys, is that's the one thing I feel vindicated about. Don't listen to early exit polls ever. You didn't like my Don't comparison do it. that instead of like raw bacon, it was oh, like premarital, premarital sex. sex where people just want – they want what they want when they want Instant it. Instant gratification. The heart wants what it wants. Just use protection. Be safe because mistakes might happen. Well, speaking of mistakes, <laughs> let's talk about the entire polling industry. So uh, the 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 polling battle that we talked about on the last show was between the traditionalists, uh, the like Gary Langer, you know, folks that have been doing this forever. Their polls are always pretty accurate. Doug Rivers, folks who are super smart, innovating in the space. A new polling beef popped up later in the week after we recorded the show. And this was the Huffington Post versus Nate Silver. Right. Huffington Post versus 538. So as you know, Nate Silver, as you may know, Nate Silver and the 538 folks had a model that was much less confident in a Clinton win. That Nate Silver was consistently the one going out there saying things like, I give Trump a 30% chance of winning. Um, That famously, there was a headline they posted, the Cubs, or Donald Trump has a better chance of being president than the Cubs have of winning the World Series. Well... We got both, America. Um, So, you know, 538 has always been not bullish on Trump, but more bullish on Trump than other places. Meanwhile, like, our friends at Huffington Post Pollster had it, like, 99%. But several other forecasters and handicappers did, Right. It wasn't just them. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots of folks had this going for Clinton. And so, I mean, 99%, wow, that's pretty strong. So what went wrong with the polls? So what's fascinating is that in this case, the national polls weren't super wrong. 
at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton may wind up winning the national popular vote right. by a but, point or two. Right. Margin of error. That's right where the real clear politics average was. Which the irony is that in 2012, it was the national polls that were totally screwed up and messed everybody's expectations up. But it was the state polls that were right. Here, the state polls in some of these battleground states, off, 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 off. And some of the forecasters used only the state polls and In not, part because of what happened four years ago. And in part because that's ultimately not how we pick our president. So As we are discovering. <laughs> so, you know, so that's so that was part of the reason that, that some folks just look at the state poll. Remember we had Chuck Tant on here, you know, a year ago who said the national polling number is one of the least interesting things on a poll because it just, you know, there's so much else that you can find out from Great, polling. Great, you're winning a ton of voters in California. Right. Bully for you. Like. Right, which goes back to our earlier point about running up the score with some of these diverse groups where that's you see that reflected in the difference in the popular vote that maybe is not extended to the Electoral College. But that's doesn't really solve the question, solve the problem of uh, what's happening with the forecasts and the polls. So I think we should separate out a couple things. I mean, first, I think people want to point blame at the folks who make for who do these forecasts. Um, Certainly, that seems to be true in our the pollster's Twitter feed, which has been pretty active <laughs> over the last day or two with people, you know, wanting to know what's going on with the polls and feeling like all the prognosticators led them astray. But I think and, – and I think, you know – it's fair to say people include us in that, even though we are not forecasters or prognosticators. But we did, you know, read the polls, as do all those other sites. I put out an electoral college map of, like, what I thought yep. was going to happen. Yeah. I was off. So, you know. I own it. Yeah. I mean, look, we thought that – I thought, It too, was based on the polling averages. It's based on the polling averages. You know, the folks who, who um, you know, we're all looking at the same material, right? And people are pushing out a final release that they have – administered, you know, called themselves, administered. Now, when I say themselves, not the prognosticators, Nate Silver is, does not have a phone bank, The people right? making the models, it's garbage in, garbage out. Again, right. they, if they get good data into their model, their model will work. If bad data goes into their model, it won't work. And this was part of the beef between Huffington Post and Nate Silver, is Nate Silver was taking polls and then was manipulating the results before they went into his model. And this yeah. was what Ryan Grimm at the Huffington Post was like, no. You shouldn't do that. But it actually led Nate Silver. I think he does something by pollster quality or what he perceives yeah, to be Yeah, like if in the past quality. your polls have come out and been too favorable to Democrats, he compensates. And yeah. he yanks down the Democratic average in your poll. And so Ryan Grimm at the Huffington Post was not a fan of this methodology. Yes, right. And so, you know, and that's to account for the fact that we don't see how people are administering their calls, right? Are they, you know, what's it who is monitoring the call center? Who are the supervisors? Recall my horror story about one prominent national university pollster right. where my friends did not do interviews the right way. Right. I mean, this, this kind of thing happens all the time. Right. Like how many supervisor, you know, how many people are there per supervisor and what are their shifts like? And, you know, how important is it that they stick to the script or do people veer off script? Where do they get their sample from? Who, how many, you know, nightly checks do uh, pollsters do of their partial data to make sure it's right? What are they waiting to? That's a big one, right? I mean, are they waiting to, you know, some assumption they have based on what their own unweighted data looks like? Are they just letting the 
the data wash in the way Ann Seltzer does. And if it comes in Republican, then it goes and out Republican. And I think Ann Seltzer's Iowa poll was right on. Was right? right on. Or are they waiting to whatever the average is of party in all the other public polls from that state, which, you know, that's called hurting. You are then perhaps missing something. And then everybody's kind of moving together as opposed to, um, you know, watching for something new to happen in your own your own data set. Um, you know, we are people doing their likely voter models differently from pollster to pollster? And are they, you know, letting too many people in or not enough people in? And we, we know the differences asking. between, uh, you know, deciding who is and isn't is and isn't a likely voter from that whole New York Times upshot thing where they sent us all right. that Florida data file and every single pollster came back with a different result for what Florida looked like. Right. And I think in the end, David Rothschild, props to you. I mean, th- well, uh, it was far out. It was out. far out. And I the data came in plus seven for the Clinton. The data came in plus seven for Clinton unweighted. Yeah. So. So how much, how strong of a weight are you going to put on it, you know, for like for the experiment? And also if you were going to do it for a client, what yeah. would you do? And if you were doing it for this experiment where it's going in the paper for everyone to see, or you, you know, you're going to be the one who's like, I'm going from plus seven to you know, to minus one. I mean, that's a pretty heavy weight to put yeah. on. So, you know, there are arguments for and against, and but so, you don't know how people are doing well, that. So is let's, my point. let's take let let's take one by one then the possible things that could have gone wrong, the likelihood that it was the culprit or not that we know thus far, and then like what other questions or research questions right. we need to dive into. So, so first, hurting, hurting, very likely. I think, to, uh, yeah. I mean, the evidence of hurting. One piece of evidence would be if any pollster actually fesses up to having sat on data and not released it. They, that happened in the UK election. That happened in the UK. We don't know if it happened here. Nobody has fessed up and said like, oh, uh, yeah, we totally had but data. It, but it could happen in their waiting, though, too, and we won't. Right, where you go like, oh, man, know. everybody else's poll has Clinton up three, but our poll has Trump up two. Ah, just, make a, just make a tie. Did we miss something? Yeah, yeah just make a tie. Let's, let me go back. Oh, I don't think we have enough Latinos in the sample. Let me run around. Okay, yeah. done. Because, guys, that's what this is what happens. Yeah. Like, those of you who are like, oh, the pollsters are putting their thumbs on the scale. Like, we have been very transparent about exposing the extent to which this is an, an art and is subjective right. in many ways. Right. For many pollsters. So, hurting, quite likely. Another one is missed late movement, right? Just things were happening at the end. Look, Comey letter and then the Comey never mind letter. It had some impact and the never mind letter didn't have any impact and the polls didn't move quickly enough at the end. Maybe, I don't know if that's quite it. I'm I not... remain skeptical that things were as wobbly as the poll said in the first place. Yeah. I still kind of lean toward the Doug Rivers like this race was a little more stable than we think it was. Although, you know, if you do look at the, and I don't know, this I guess is against late breaking, but you do see in the exits that Clinton won with people who decided before September and Trump won with everybody who decided after in September, October, last couple of weeks, last few days. And the Kellyanne era. Yeah. <laughs> We can talk about that in a second. <laughs> That's part three, and then um, and then a special bonus episode, and then uh, but the like last week and last two weeks, I think he won by a smaller margin than like October, so September, October. I don't know if those were big differences, but that suggests that maybe it's not like the Comey thing and that like it all kind of that it was there was something that was missed by the late polling. I don't know if that's different in the states that were a surprise like Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, but. You know, I, I don't, so I don't know if it's late break, but it is, it is one of the theories. One of the things you look at when your poll is off yep. is that something happened at the last second. So the one we have to talk about is the shy 
slash missing. Yes, slash two different secret. kinds: shy versus secret trumpers. Right, shy versus secret trumper. So if you're a shy trumper, well, so they're like lying, or they you were never in the poll in the begin with. Right. So so one is: do Trump people just not respond to polls as much? And I remain somewhat skeptical of that just because of the demographics of who is and isn't easy to reach. That it just makes me super skeptical that it's like harder to get Trump people to take polls. What makes more sense to me, and I, I think we we I think we posted this result on our page. It was the poll from the summer where it said, if you were a Trump supporter, could you still have respect for someone who was a Clinton supporter? And like 40% of people said no, but a majority of Trump supporters said yes, I would still have respect for someone I know who was a Clinton supporter. But among Clinton supporters, like 56% said I could never have respect this for someone. This was like a week or two ago. It's just from Pew. Yeah. So that's like the – and I was like, okay, well, are people lying to pollsters? No, people probably aren't lying to pollsters. Maybe they were. I mean, this is where when I think about the groups where Hillary Clinton underperformed or Trump overperformed, white college educated women, like, I feel like that could be, that could be your shy Trump vote. I mean, well, I, I emailed one of my pollster friends this morning to ask this, and he said, you know, maybe there's something in the shy Trump, shy Trump because they can't, we can't all be wrong in the same exact way, right? So it's not like, I mean, herding would explain all being wrong in the same way, but it's not like everybody is secretly like weighting things exactly the same way. So the, all the, the industry error, and I say we, I'm not like our last poll was in July. So this was not, this was not, our, this was not our poll, but just that the folks that the, the polls that we've looked at nationally, um, they all had the error in the same direction. So yeah. that, that would point to a shy Trump vote pattern because yeah. that would all affect all the polls in the exact and same way. And here's what's terrifying about that. There's not a lot you can do to fix that. So for the other things that I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, like sampling error and whatever, like there's stuff you can do to fix that. There are things you can do methodologically to try to better make sure you're capturing the right people and to better sense if you need to, you know, reduce the proportion of African-Americans in your sample because they're less likely to turn out. Like there are things you can figure out there. But if people just don't trust pollsters and don't want to talk to them and think that they're rigged or that they're the government trying to get you or that's the media and they're biased and blah. I mean, if people just as a class, if Trump supporters don't trust pollsters at all and therefore are less likely to talk to pollsters, that's a that's a much harder problem to fix than like I got to go buy a better list and do some more right, phone calls. Right, my likely voter bottle needs more and, tweaking. And, and it's also a sign of, I mean, degradation of societal trust in institutions we used to kind of trust or like – or I, I have been telling people, you know, go buy my friend Mary Catherine Ham's book, End of Discussion, which is sort of about how – Folks who have conservative-ish leaning views sometimes feel like they're not allowed to debate. Like, you're not allowed to have that view. How dare you say that you disagree with this bathroom bill? Or how dare you say whatever? I, I, I don't – again, because we don't know what makes people support Trump completely. There are lots of different pathways to him. This is all speculative. But to what extent are holding conservative views is not super fashionable these days. And so if you do, 
do you just kind of keep it to yourself and like I'm not going to take a poll, but I'm kind of uncomfortable with this bathroom thing or whatever. Or I'm kind of uncomfortable with this Trump thing. And and that makes it that makes it really hard for us to do our job. Yeah. If people feel like they're going to be persecuted for their views, even if and and I mean I assume Margie would argue that some of those views deserve persecution. Well, Maybe. they're unpopular for a reason, you know. Some of those, you know, some of those views are unpopular but, for a reason. But, but what and I'm saying is, are... maybe some of those views are more popular than you think yes. they are, right? And so, is is the best strategy for understanding them to like shame them and say like, no, this is not okay. We're putting up guardrails around our culture, which I would argue Donald Trump blew the guardrails off, right? Obviously, for good we're or, saying it's okay for good or for We've ill. Said it's right? okay. We've now said these um, things are. <laughs> it's now okay. But to... the the. Be a bully. There will I, I am certain that there will be some a poor paper that will go into like better sampling methods and response rates and all this stuff, and it'll be very interesting and we'll talk about it on the show. But mu- you can't put out a white paper that's like, here's how you solve broken trust between a segment of the population and the media that conducts a lot of these polls. And so when somebody calls and says, I'm calling from NBC News or CBS News. A certain segment of the population is like, screw you, I'm out. Or like, I'm not interested in, I'm going to just tell you I'm voting for Clinton or I'm undecided or like, just get off my case because I don't want to tell you I'm voting for Trump and you harass me. Right. That's, I was so dismissive of this and I am now, I am now deeply concerned about it. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, you can't wait by anger at the media or mistrust yeah. in polls. You don't even have those people, even if you could, which you would not, you don't even have those people in your poll. So yeah. you can't, if you if it's harder to find them, it throws everything off by a, an amount that's unknowable. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll be able to figure out, I mean, the, the voter files will all come out soon. Again, as a public service reminder, when you vote, that's public record. Everybody get excited. We know if you turned out or you didn't. Shaming techniques very useful on that front. That's right. <laughs> Getting people to turn out. That's right. Um, so we'll be able to go through on the voter file and see, okay, was there a missing Trump vote in the sense of like an actual surge of white, non-college educated men who were like, yeah, Trump and like, you know, they'd never voted before, but they turned out for Trump. We'll be able to tell a lot of that from looking at the voter file. But all the voter file tells you is did somebody with certain demographic characteristics show up at the polls or not? It doesn't tell you who they voted for. Right. And that seems to be where – that's why I think this is not just as Bummer. easy. This is not just like – so Dewey Defeats Truman, right, was like a, a sampling problem. It right. was Gallup figuring out like, oh, I've been doing this wrong. I got to refigure it out. That's what makes me think like it, maybe this is Dewey Defeats Truman, but it's like it's it's going to be harder to tackle. Because this trust has been broken. And I got a lot of hate on Twitter because I, I think this is why you should never tweet at 4 a.m. I was like tired. I was trying to go to sleep. I'd just gotten home from ABC. That's, unless you want to be president, then you should totally tweet at 4 a.m. <laughs> Recipe for success. Recipe right. for success, I tell you. That's right. Uh, yeah, don't tweet at 4 a.m., kids. Uh, but I did. And I think I tweeted something like about how, you know, you need – if pe- people are saying, oh, the pollsters are all stuck in a bubble. And I said, look, the reason I love my job is that being a pollster means I go out of the bubble. Right. And I'm supposed to bring back dispatches from the outside. Right. And go to people who only hang out in the Acela Lounge. Right. <laughs> which, That's by right. the way, was like a morgue today. Oh, <laughs> painful. Uh, um, you know, I go out 
I get the dispatches. I bring them back. I'm supposed to be like, hey, guys, this is what real voters are thinking. It's what I love about my job. I love that my whole job is supposed to be piercing the bubble. So I don't think the problem is that pollsters are necessarily caught in the bubble. Maybe it is if it's influencing their turnout perceptions and things. Certainly that can be the case. Right. But the idea that like, oh, we're all in a bubble and therefore we're not listening to the Trump voters. When you go out and do your Walmart moms group, you're you're going out. You're listening to people expressing right. their frustrations about Hillary Clinton and the emails. And oh, we don't like Trump, but uh, you know, and all the campaigns are doing focus groups. And even even if the media polling that you're watching and the forecasters, you're really just looking at the head to head. Be certain that there's all kinds of real qualitative, heavy duty listening going on by all kinds of other folks. Yeah. So there's a lot. Our job is to go outside the bubble. So my tweet was something like. It's not that pollsters are stuck inside the bubble. It's that there's a lack of trust. And if people aren't honest with us, we can't have good information. And people interpreted that as me saying, like, voters are a bunch of liars. And I don't think it's that people are liars. I'm not trying to place the blame like, oh, pollsters are fine. It's you voters who lied to us. That is not the point I'm trying to make. Right. Hence why you don't tweet at 4 a.m. because that sounds like the point you're trying to make. Right, right. It's, it's that we've now got – and I do blame Donald Trump. Like, weirdly, this could have been a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, the polls are all rigged. So then Trump supporters don't take polls. <laughs> and then, boom, here we are. <sighs> I do not know which way the causality arrow points well, there. Well, you know, there has been. So there's the shy Trump and then there's the hidden Trump voter. And those are folks who were newer to the to voting but were not caught in likely voter models. And they were going to be, you know, this secret hidden Trump army that would show up that people did not necessarily – they weren't able to measure, right? So this is the two different kinds of, you know, potential Trump voters that were t- discussed, floated by Trump supporters during the campaign that maybe, in fact – were borne out by the data, the shy Trump, as Kristen was talking about, and then the hidden Trump. Now, the other, but the counterpoint to all of this is that there were experiments to try and study this before the election. Morning Consult and Politico had one, the Upshot had one, and their conclusion was there there isn't a shy Trump, you know, whether you ask people online or on surveys, you know, on live calls or online, there wasn't that much of a difference. Huffington Post showed maybe a little bit more of a difference, but still in the same direction. And the upshot did analysis of voter file data and saw that new registrants were more likely to be Democratic. If you look at the exits, first-time voters voted for Clinton, but not by a massive margin. So maybe that was a group that she was supposed to she, – you know, she needed to really do a lot better than she did. There isn't – I haven't seen a similar data point for – 12. So I don't know how to compare it to what happened for Obama. But so maybe so I don't know the answer to the hidden Trump thing yet as and but there has been it wasn't like people are just going to be shocked like, oh, my God, you know, how did this happen? I mean, people have been trying to study this and figure it out and seem to think that it wasn't happening. So it means a little bit more study needs to be done. Yeah. And and the, the last thing that I'll say in this whole topic is that right now, already on the train ride back, I got a press release from the Marist McClatchy folks being like, um, hey, everybody, we got it right. That like there will be some folks that are going to – and look, hey, the Marist McClatchy folks have numbers they can point to where they can say, hey, we did we did get it right. We thought that Clinton was going to win the national popular vote by one point whatever points and now she's winning it by 0.7. So we feel pretty good about that. Or, um, but There are going to be – this is what's going to drive me nuts. Well, one, it it shocks but comforts me 
that the Clinton campaign was surprised. Because we've often talked about how, well, public polls, you know, are you cutting corners with cost and all that? There's a whole article that ran today about the Clinton campaign having a computer named Ada, like named after a, like a famous mathematician, like woman mathematician oh, from like the 19th. 19- yeah. There's a book. There's a kid's book about Ada yep. that I have. So they oh, had a computer named so Ada sad. that was like making, that was doing exactly what I would think, like, oh, You should be using data to make smart decisions about your candidate's time and where you buy TV and stuff. And the Clinton campaign was doing all of that. But they were missing the fact that they might lose Wisconsin, the fact that they might lose Michigan. And so it comforts me to know that this is no longer just like a Republicans are all idiots and in the dark with broken polling, but the Democrats totally get it like – No, no, no. Now everybody's a little confused. We're in a world where nobody knows what's going on. But then it's going to drive me bonkers because the Trump campaign wasn't doing this stuff. Like, I know there was the whole Sasha Eisenberg, like Josh Green Bloomberg piece about like, oh, Trump's super sophisticated data people. And I will I will save that for another day. But I will just say (laughs) every single reporter I talked to said nobody in the Trump campaign was trying to like genuinely spin them on election day. Like we're going to win this, that it was all kind of this, I, like I mean, I didn't laying see the ground, like, like laying this cover your butt groundwork type yeah, stuff. I didn't exactly. I didn't see any like the, you know, Clinton campaign was like, okay, in this state, we everyone got, was pitching me cover your butt gra- stuff. Yeah. From the, like we got different this, committees. We reached these different many members. voters and here's what's going on in the early count in Arizona and so on and so forth. And there was no counterpoint from the Trump campaign that you saw no, Signals. The only thing was, well, we didn't have the support of the past presidential, you know, presidents. It was presidential all candidates. CYA. I'm like, that's that's it. That's and that the- was uh, that was all I was getting pitched on all day. Yeah, people being like, well, we did our part. Well, we did our part. Well, we did our part. Instead of being like, hey guys, Trump might win Wisconsin. Like, no one was right. pitching on that. So there's going to be a lot of revisionist history after this. We are coming to you on this show, humbled and aware. Yeah. Candid about where we thought things were in this election, the data that we had, the the, but they're going to be people that all of a sudden are like, oh yeah, I totally called it. Be skeptical of all those people because yeah. we are all in this together. And I got to say, if we're giving out the Brianna Keeler Award for truth telling in polls, it goes to Bill <laughs> freaking Mitchell. <laughs> My colleague Patrick made a mug out of his tweet that said, Trump's ground game isn't in a computer. It's in our hearts. <laughs> and I'll be darned if that wasn't right. I mean, that was he was like the anti-pollster, right? He was just like... The polls are all so dumb. You can't hear the music of our souls. I'm like exaggerating. But it was... I'm clearly halfway through my beer now. Yeah, that, it's a very tall beer. I should. It, it is a ta- it is a tall boy. Is twenty four yes. full ounces of Corona. It is it is the beer that you deserve. The those. beer that Dominic Toretto always drinks in Fast and Furious. Yes, this is the beer. This is the beer you need at two forty <laughs> in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Um, so I, I have two more theories that we can touch upon briefly before we wrap up. I think. No, um, we have segment three. Oh, Bonus segment. That's right. <laughs> One is, you know, this was, and I emailed somebody else to ask their thoughts, and they said, well, um, perhaps, you know, undecideds broke to Trump as if Clinton was an incumbent. That, you know, rule of thumb, that's not really always true, but has been, you know, that that is uh, often a baseline for analysis that when you have an incumbent, 
the vote share in the head-to-head is that's where the incumbent is, but undecideds will break to the challenger because that you know if they're undecided against an incumbent, that means they're not really so sure about the incumbent, so they're going to go to the, the challenger. And that Clinton in this scenario would be an incumbent for all the obvious reasons she's been, you know, around for a long time. She's you know running to continue Obama's uh, policies, and Trump is obviously not incumbent-like in any way. So in that kind of scenario, do undecideds break to Trump? I don't know. I don't know if that's true. You know, I haven't really investigated that. This was an email from someone as a theory, but it's one potentially to think about. I don't know. Okay. It's just a thought. Because um, when we're looking at the head-to-head in all the polling averages, people don't really look at the undecideds. It's just, you know, what's going on in the margin? Oh, is it a three-point race or is it a four-point race without necessarily thinking about how to allocate the undecideds? So that's a thought. And then the final one, magical thinking is what we saw in Brexit. When it was really tied, people were like, it's tied, but it's not going to happen. That's what all the betting markets said. Yeah. I mean, every time – and look, the this was a case of the polling averages being different too. That like I, I will confess I would do a lot of Fox News hits and they would use the Real Clear Politics average, which was the most favorable to Trump. And inside my head, I'd always be thinking about like our buddies over at HuffPost like, yeah, but their margin has it like five. But if I bring that up, this host is going to – it's going to be like – it's going to be an annoying segment. It's going to be bad TV. Like yeah, I'm just going to – just going to roll with it. I'll, I'll be honest about my opinion, but, but you know, was there an extent to which in my mind I was like, yeah, I'm trusting the HuffPost people more because no way is it, it a two-point race. Although I, I, mean, I really do think that as a result of being a Republican who was so wrong and so bludgeoned by this and having already gone through so many of the stages of grief around Trump already, that I was slightly more equipped and humbled about like – declaring that Trump is gone because it had burned me once. And theoretically, I should have learned, do not touch that stove again (laughs) because it's really hot and it will burn you again. So, uh, yeah, I was like reaching new stages of grief, whereas I think I, I I wonder if the bubble is different. I'm not saying I wasn't in the bubble, but I was in a different place in the bubble because I had been in the I had I had already had my illusions stripped away from me. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess that's right, right? You had a lot of Republicans after the primary, like, okay, don't blame, you know, don't blame us. You, you know, good luck. You tried, you know, run against Trump, right? That was sort of the vibe that was coming out of the Republican establishment after the primary. Yeah. And, you know, and we we're like, we got this. Look, you know, look, look, we got it. You know, we're planting traps in his head and he goes crazy. Look, we got it, you know? <laughs> and, um, he's going to be president. I know somebody, uh, post on facebook they're like there is going to be a donald trump presidential library yep it's gonna be gold it's gonna be fabulous a a dear friend of mine she texted me last night the world turned upside down which is like a a line from a song in hamilton the world turned upside down and i was like don't you quote hamilton at me right now (laughs) i I do not want to hear it that was about winning the revolutionary war (laughs) this is different uh, but nonetheless, um, so in terms of like, how do we fix polling? This is not an easy fix. This is not an overnight thing. Gonna- I, sh- I should add, I don't know if I said this because we've now, we haven't had a lot of sleep, but 
it's going to take months to come up with like the answers, you know, yeah. folks who were hoping that this show would give them, okay, the answer is X. Like that, that answer does not exist now. Nope. The Brits took like months to come up with their report after 2015. Gallup came up, took months to come up with their report after 2012. It's going to take a while before we have like the full answer. And I don't, I say we, I don't even mean Kristen and I. <laughs> I mean, like the it's too much other stuff to do. It's no, I'm definitely kidding. not going to take us, it's definitely going to take <laughs> us way more than months to come up with the answer. <laughs> Um, so this this stay tuned because even if you're now wondering why should I continue listening to a show called The Pollsters when pollsters are terrible and they're always wrong, continue listening to us because you may not realize it, but like political polling is like a teeny sliver of all polling. And so the fact that you've had this blow up in political polling is going to cause, I assume, some kind of ripple effect through lots of other things about like how do we really know what people are thinking and if this is really a Dewey defeats Truman level event meteor hitting our industry there's big changes on the horizon so we are we are all about being transparent here about what our biases are and what are what f- factors are influencing our thinking and wanting to be candid about what is and is not improving in the industry and so we look forward to sharing all of this messy process with you all. That's right. In fact, this may be a great time to keep listening to the pollsters. Um, I agree. Because we're going to be so. spending uh, a lot of time talking about this because there's going to be plenty of, plenty of stuff to discuss for and look, sure. You know who's like the hottest pollster in town now? Former the pollsters co-host, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> That's right. Who, you know, did an incredible job. I, yeah, I got to say, I, the, I was joking about like the Kellyanne era, but... You know, they talked about how in the final week or two, they like took Trump's Twitter account away from him. And like, I mean, if she to the extent that she was a stabilizing force, to the extent that that's legit and it's not just like spin in an article like, you know, this CYA, like, oh, if this goes south, I want to look good afterwards. To the extent that it's really true. If she's able to keep him from like nuking countries. Go Kellyanne. Represent for the lady pollsters out there. Prevent us from getting into nuclear war. Uh, And also, with Hillary Clinton not going to be president, we are going to lose Kate McKinnon's SNL portrayal of Hillary Clinton. But at least we will have SNL's portrayal of Kellyanne Conway. Is that the first pollster to have to be portrayed on I feel like I'm sure if we looked hard enough, there's like got to be a Frank Luntz. Right? Listeners, th- help us out. If there has ever been a pollster... It would only be Frank Luntz or Stan Greenberg, right? I would think. Or Maybe. I'm, my, somebody, mo- money's on, my money's know. on Luntz. Yeah. We if can't. there was anybody. And if there hasn't been, dear God, SNL. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Maybe can you imagine have, a Luntz focus group as an maybe, SNL skit? Maybe oh, they it would have, be so good. What if they had like they should have like a you know a thing where like pol- like they all make fun of a variety of pollsters on this week's SNL talking about what happened, uh, but not us, other pollsters. <laughs> Don't do see, us. You've totally jinxed it. <laughs> You're going to be played by Cecily Strong. I'm going to be played by Vanessa Bayer. No, this no, is happening. No. No, it's, it's happening. Happen. It's happening, Margie. No. I think an excellent Saturday Night Live skit would be Frank Lund's focus group, but s- the participants in the focus group ah, are classic SNL good. characters. Stefan talking – I mean, played by Bill Hader. Like, you bring back 
all of these people who are famous. The cheerleaders. Will Ferrell and oh, yeah. Sherry O'Terry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, bring, bring, bring them all back and have them in a room as a focus group that somebody on the current cast has to moderate. Excellent. I like it. That's great. I'm sure there are no SNL writers listening to the show, but maybe. <laughs> you never know. I feel like this show has a like weird, weird reach. Yeah, no, it's good. Although I um, I was talking to somebody. I did NPR this morning, and somebody was like, are you sure so you guys going to keep doing the pollsters? And I said something, and I was like, yeah, well, do you listen? He's like, no, I'm just, I'm just curious. <laughs> I was like, why did I ask that? <laughs> He's been called out, but he'll never know if he doesn't That's listen. Okay. That's right. <laughs> and I don't know his name, so there. So, there. <laughs> um, so anyway, I think um, – we're definitely well. Obviously, for sure, we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep doing the pollsters, and we have a big announcement coming up, but we're not ready to announce it yet. But there, the pollsters will live on, even if we might be remote for the next couple of weeks. But not only will we live on, it's going to be better than ever, guys. It's going to be better than Can't ever. Can't wait to tell you what's coming down the down the pipeline. So, thanks for hanging with us for this fantastically exciting election year. And even if you can't trust the polls, you can trust the pollsters. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters, individually at at Margie O'Meara and at Kaysolta Sanderson. You can find us online at www.thepolsters.com, where we have a list of links to all of the great polling resources you could ever possibly want. Find us on Facebook. We'll post links to the stories throughout the week that we find to be pretty interesting. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. Don't forget to post a review. And especially if you're somebody who works in the industry and you have theories and actual research and data to back up. What the heck just happened? Send it our way. We're going to be on this beat for a long time. That's right. Thanks. Bye.